to episode 88 of the Avatar Hour podcast, your ultimate companion podcast to the world and fandom of Avatar. I'm Andre. And I'm Kayla. And today we are pondering the Avatar multiversal question, what if? That's right, we're diving into some Avatar scenarios and see how they would play out if one thing was changed from the original canon. In this episode, you can obviously expect full spoilers for The Legend of Korra, as well as spoilers for Avatar The Last Airbender. However, there may be potential spoilers for other Avatar media, but we'll give you plenty of warning ahead if we get into anything too spoilery. Before we get into the discussion, Kayla, it's been a couple weeks since we last recorded. How have you been doing? Pretty good. I had a very busy but fun Pride Month. Uh, lots of crap going on, Rocky Horror-related things, to going to see my sister graduate, uh, getting horribly sunburned. <laughs> that was not oh fun. Uh, but now I'm good. I'm much, much better now. You know, kind of continuing my new job. And, you know, things are things are pretty good. You know, Lear- I'm learning to adult gradually. <laughs> good. good. So that's been good. And, yeah, just kind of just happy to be back. I missed this. <laughs> You know? Yeah, me too. Me too. Like, it's just nice to, to chit chat about Avatar stuff because let's face it, the world sucks. <laughs> A lot's happened in the mm. world since the last time we recorded. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Any uh, any thoughts on that, Kayla? <laughs> uh, fuck the Supreme Court for that, and fuck anybody who did who threw away their vote in 2016 because this is what we warned you about would happen. Mm-hmm. And also. For some of the folks who said gay marriage is next, and yes, I agree, they will probably go after that next. But you should be mad now because there are queer people who yeah. are already being impacted by this. I am a queer person who is impacted by this. I'm a queer person yeah. with a uterus. There are trans men out there with a the uterus. There are non-binary people out there with a the uterus who will be impacted by this. Mm-hmm. The queer community is already being attacked. And also, by the way, guys, the trans community has been under attack even before Roe v. Wade got overturned. So yeah, yeah they've been coming after us, guys. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I that's what I hated about people talking about gay people. You're next. You're next. But like it's yeah, that's that's been a reality for many queer people months before this happened. And again, not not minimizing what just happened because it was a giant. What the fuck? Yeah. But the language that's kind of going around from people um, is not great. I, I, you know, we don't have to go into how we both feel about it. If you've been listening long enough, of course, we're like outraged. I don't really have anything to add that hasn't already been said. Same here. I just, I just want to, um, like echo what you just said, Caleb. Please, if you're going to make any sort of post or talk about it with your friends, yeah, please include non cis people who have uteruses. Yeah. Please include them in that conversation. And there's plenty of way you could say that. Like you can say you could just say people. You can say birthing peoples. People just with uteruses. Find people with uteruses. Like yeah, just. Don't say uterus havers. That sounds weird. Yeah. Um, Also, please, 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 please leave the Handmaid's Tales costumes at home, people. Leave them at home. It's so, so cringy. That shit is not fiction. That has happened to black women and men. And indigenous women. And indigenous women for history of all time. Yeah. Do not. It's it's it just just don't do it. Don't do it unless you know that context. Even then, I was still hold off on that but yeah, yeah and also just please... also margaret adwood is a transphobe so yeah that. that too yeah so please just just be more aware of of just the language that's going around and it is just as simple as you know women's rights are under attack well actually people's people including people who have uteruses you know again not minimizing what what has happened but it's it's i think it's important more now than 
now more than ever to be uh, inclusive in the language that we decide to use. Absolutely. But anyway, let's <laughs> let's. I, well, I hope we can offer some escapism yeah. on this on this show. But it is it is, it is important that I yeah. wanted to bring that up just a little bit. Well, considering here's the thing, Avatar is political with the stuff that it talks about, and it makes sense for us to bring up political issues and human rights issues because human rights issues are discussed in Avatar. So. Um, this fits, but I think for the rest of the episode, we will keep current news out of it. Um, but you know, it's not like completely ignoring, we're not going to ignore politics, quote unquote, No, you know, we're not going to just sit by and do nothing with that. We're, you know, we don't, even though we might not have a gigantic following, we still have a platform and, you know, if anything that we've learned from the show, we need to speak up when people's rights are being violated. Absolutely. Switching back over now, switching back over to center because I haven't asked you how you're doing, Andre. <laughs> oh, I'm doing. I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. This hasn't been like the best month for me. I got COVID. Have you got any like other leftover like COVID stuff? Like any taste no. smell coming back or? No, thankfully not. Thankfully, I tested negative pretty quickly. I That's think it good. was after a. I think it was like a week after I tested positive that I got. I got like a very, very, very faint negative, and then I tested again a couple of days later, and it was like actually negative. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, I was really worried about that because, and I was like panic texting you, being like, "So how, how long? When was the last time you took it? And it's still positive, and because I'm, I'm in a show, and I need to be there for rehearsals, and I can't be there if I'm, you know, positive for COVID. Um, so that, that was a very, it wasn't a great start to the month, and then. Yeah, on top of all this, you know, the the just the climate of everything. And um, it's been a little stressful. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. So um, I'm hoping July is a little better. Um, but speaking of July, we are coming up on our two-year podcast Holy anniversary. Fuck, I forgot. <laughs> Isn't July. that insane? Hey, look at us. Who would have thought? <laughs> not me. Not me. I always forget the exact date. I want to say it's I, the it's end like, of July. It is the end of July. It's like July 20-something. Um, I don't know what we should do for that episode. I think that could be when we when we <laughs> do our like, July episode. We're recording this on July 1st, guys. <laughs> we don't know what we're doing yet. <laughs> yeah, we don't. <laughs> we don't know. Also, yeah, apologies. I know we said we were going to do a June episode. Things are happening that it just prevented us from doing that. So we're but we're here now. But we did now, do but... we did do a live stream on Instagram discussing some of the Avatar oh, yeah, Studios yeah, yeah, news. We did. So I kind of count that as something. But if you haven't watched that yet, it's still up on our Instagram. So go check that out. Um yeah. we have we had lots of things to say. <laughs> yeah. Oh our our official anniversary is July 29th. Okay. That's what I was So we've got some time. Yeah we got, we we got, got some time. time. <laughs> but also considering just how time is these days, you blink one minute it's August already. Like that's true. That's true. I mean, what the uh, the the first year anniversary? I think we just kind of was like, "Yay, Woo! we did it!" <laughs> <laughs> we were like, "Yay, cool!" We didn't really do anything, but I don't know. Was it? What's we'll talk? Well, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll say that. We'll say that we'll we're not on the air. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's move on to the news. So, in true Avatar Hour fashion, there is a deluge of news when we are not recording. Who is surprised? Not me. Um. So we have three big pieces of news. All of this has come from um, a podcast that Bryke was on. They were interviewing. I'm not sure which. It might have been like Bending the Elements or Breaking the Elements. It might have been that Braving one. I'm not sure. the Elements? Breathing? Braving. Braving. Yeah, that one. <laughs> that one. The one I don't with Jeanette Bardian and Dante Bosco. 
yeah, that one. Um, I don't. I'm not sure if it was that one or if it was another one. But we do have some um things that have been dished about Avatar Studios. So let's let's do the first one. So this was a big thing. Um, uh, basically, Bryke have confirmed that Avatar Studios movies and shows are news stories, not adaptations of books or comics. Granted, they do say for now, this is what we're doing, but this is the actual full quote. Uh, Mike says, I think the thing we're not doing now, not saying this couldn't happen someday, is like we're not adapting the graphic novels into a movie or TV show. We're not adapting the YA novels into a movie or TV show. Again, that could happen in the future. And then Brian says, but we are feeding off of them. Um, And that's interesting because the books and comics have you know, a, a certain level of um, maybe heightened maturity that the the shows don't, especially the, the books, the Kiyoshi books. Um, but I don't know, like, I'm both kind of like just slightly disappointed, but also really excited that we're getting all new stories. What do you what do you think, Kayla? Absolutely. I mean, I know we kind of talked about it a few times about like, we kind of almost don't want do, but we don't want adaptations of some of the like non TV show uh, media. Mm-hmm. So I am glad that we're getting some new stories for sure. That definitely, mm-hmm. I, I see both sides of the should they adapt, should they not. But I'm happy we get new stuff. I'm always happy for new stuff. Give me the new stuff. <laughs> well, and going off of that, um, there was another uh, not bombshell, but um, oh, and by the way, this podcast was Comic Con Metapod. So this was that's the name of the podcast. Um, but there was another quote that talked about how Avatar Studios sees expanded universe sees the expanded universe as mostly canon, and there may be a, a couple of tweaks here and there. Here is the full quote from Mike. He says, "We've been involved in all those main ancillary stories, so in our minds, it's mostly canon. There's probably some stuff if we may go back, like that doesn't totally line up with this, so there may be some little tweaks here and there." But as of right now, we're proceeding as if all of this stuff is part of the proper universe and hopefully building on it. And then Bright goes on to explain how the upcoming movies and shows won't be adaptation. Okay, we just talked about that. Um, so yeah, I mean, a little tweaks can mean like a whole lot. Obviously, it doesn't sound like um, they like are completely retconning a bunch of things um i'm thinking more along the lines of like <laughs> maybe they have to like george lucas some things and go back and and kind of like change things to kind of line up with the canon proper um but i would love to point out this lovely comment <laughs> under this post where it says better not be some woke tweaks so there's that for you see i thought for a second it was going to be you know i thought I, when you when you read it like that i thought it was satire but knowing the internet, it's they don't know what satire it's not is. Satire. I'm reading it right off the post. <laughs> that, that, ain't, that ain't satire. I don't think the internet even knows what that is at this point. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh my yeah, god, yeah. Avatar is what do you think of this? Woke, guys. Anyway, <laughs> I mean, considering how big the universe is in Avatar, and just you know, especially in these days where the universes, the fictional universes that we all love, just get bigger and bigger, there's bound to be some things that they need to be adjusted for whatever new stuff comes along so i'm not surprised by this star wars has had to do that with like the kenobi series you know and any other star wars content that's come out lately so you know i'm not going to give them a hard time for that and you know what keep it woke please (laughs) (laughs) like jesus christ like did they watch the same show as us anyway 
Anyway, I agree. It's 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 bound to happen as as more things in this universe are written, especially, you know, if well, even if it's the same people, you're bound to come up against like um, certain discrepancies and stuff. So but I don't I really I I don't mind it. Like, you know, whatever they have to do to, you know, create the story that they want. You know, I'm I'm fine with it. I had no problem with it. And it's just it's just like I just I mean I know it's gonna happen because I've been in the world of online fandom long enough to know that like people are going to be like boo hooing over this minute detail. Yeah. Um so but I'm not going I, I, I hope I'd not become one of those people. Andre, if I ever do reach the screen, it's shaking, okay? Uh yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and then our our last piece of news is again same podcast and this is Bright talking about the kind of animation that they're planning on using and apparently Avatar Studios CG animation is 2D not 3D stylized to look like uh Spider-Verse or Arcane and those are two things that were mentioned specifically by both of them. So Brian, here's the quote. Brian says, we love all sorts of animation and we're going to be doing all sorts of things, but our main bread and butter is 2D animation. It's an homage to anime and all the stuff that we love. That doesn't mean we're going to be like hardcore straight edge 2D using cells and painting in the backgrounds with poster paint. The way we always look at it is start with hand-drawn, handmade artwork, and then what can technology do to help us enhance it, to help us deepen it, to help the filmmaking, to make it more cinematic. But we're always going to be coming at it from that 2D direction. We're not planning on doing anything at the moment, especially none of our big projects that are starting purely 3D and then trying to stylize them. We looked at it, we thought about it, and there's beautiful stuff happening in that space. Arcane and Spider-Verse are gorgeous and groundbreaking and pushing the envelope, but that's their own look and we're not chasing that. We didn't form Avatar Studios to go chasing someone else's coattails. I think that stuff's beautiful, but a ton of other studios are are already chasing those looks. Leave that to them. Those artists work hard to form that look, and we're looking hard to form our own look, but we're not doing anything purely 3D. So this was something that was rumored um, months ago that there was some source that said they are going the 3D animation route, uh, 3D and CGI um and we didn't talk about it because i was like uh not it's not reputable enough to talk about it um but i'm glad that they confirmed that they are starting from like a 2d animation standpoint because i i really just don't i can't see like an avatar project like being purely cgi that doesn't mean i won't like it if it ever happens but I think it's the right decision to go to keep doing 2D because it makes it stand out from everything else. I mean, when Arcane came out, yeah, it was started 3D and CG and was stylized to look like 2D. But I mean, just the fact that it it had its own look was the reason a lot of people watched it, right? So I think and the gay stuff, the and the gay stuff, and <laughs> I think the direction they're taking is a smart one to keep to the style that we're used to but finding a way to make it new and innovative and kind of like elevate the story and i think that's that's why i love these creators so much because i just i literally agree with them in every aspect when it comes to just doing everything in service of the story you know not just doing it just because just because there's new technology you know yeah um i mean i think that 2d animation is criminally underrated and, yeah. uh, you know, I, th- I kind of wish there was some more 2D animation out there in popular, you know, movies and shows. So that makes me very excited to see 2D animation become popular 
you know, still is popular, but you know, you know what I mean? Like seeing them go, you know, continue the 2D animation when there's a lot of it being, a lot of animation being 3D these days. Um, not shitting on 3D animation. You know me, I'm a big arcane fan, uh, you know, so trust me, I love 3D animation. I do actually, I did actually think I saw this um, some sort of article or video or something. How Disney is like kind of trying to jumpstart 2D animation in its own uh, departments again, kind of have it in like teaching like animators, like some of the old techniques that they use and things like that. So that's pretty cool to see. I think 2D animation should get some more love. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely making a comeback. It's definitely making a comeback. Yeah. Um, I would like some more and, love for it. So that's fine by me. <laughs> yeah. And I think if Avatar Studios does ever go the CG route, I would hope it's gradual. Like the way I think about it is like how, you know, like the originals and the prequels from Star Wars all really focused was primarily focused on like miniatures and practical effects. And then how the new ones are like all kind of all CGI and it's a little jarring because you're used to kind of like almost like the, it's like a homemade look almost of these, like these miniatures and this like, like nineties, two thousands, eighties way of filmmaking of making these miniatures. And there's just such a nostalgic feel to that. And I think because, you know, technically uh, Avatar could be considered like an older show and that 2D animation harkens back and connects you to that nostalgia. No, don't um, call it an older show. No. I mean, it is. <laughs> I, I mean, be, it's like no, what, 17 be, years old. I had to be dramatic. I had to jokingly be dramatic because I bet you there's like a bunch of people on the podcast at that time when you called it an older show would just be like, oh, like, <laughs> yeah, and then people are like, what do you mean? It came out three months ago. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I'm just about this one driving to work and like getting like a gut punched, like you know, emotional gut punch of that statement. <laughs> I'm sorry, I've I've like vibe checked everyone with their mortality, but <laughs> but it's true. The show came out 17 years ago. I'm sorry about it. Oh no, don't um, even apologize. You just give me another good TikToks. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I just on a roll today. Uh, Thank you, thank you. I do my best work when I have months and weeks of rest in between recordings. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and that, and that's why we do hiatuses. But yeah, those are all the news. Do you have any last thoughts, Kayla, on any uh, of our news items here? Nothing I can think of. I'm just happy we got more Avatar Studios news, and you know, yeah. So that means that means like we'll probably get a bunch more news. Uh, you know, in between this so. and the next episode that we do. <laughs> I hope so. I hope uh, so. So, well, we're taking a leaf out of the, the Marvel TV show today, and we're going to do a what if episode. In case you missed mm-hmm. the intro. <laughs> uh, shout out to CJ Taylor, who suggested this on our Patreon. And if you would like to be able to recommend episode ideas to us so we can... In the in these you know times where we're looking for topic episodes, you can join us at patreon.com slash the Avatar Hour Podcast. And you can do so, you know, suggest episodes from any of our tiers. So um yeah, if you'd like to join in on the fun, definitely head over there. But yeah, this is something that at first I was like, Yeah, let's just do it. But then when I was doing it, actually like writing out the doc, I was like, oh my God, wait a minute. This is actually really interesting. <laughs> Because I didn't, and I was like, it was like literally like a word vomit of just me spiraling into these like alternate timelines of how things could go. And I'm really excited to talk about some of these. And meanwhile, I was just like scratching my head trying to think of scenarios of what if that Andre didn't already think of. And I kind of just left the question there for those who are on Patreon. You can see Patreon, you can actually see what I wrote, which is not a lot. (laughs) Andre's got these like episodes worth of like... (laughs) 
<laughs> it feels like a whole just blocks of text just blocks of text i'm like well didn't realize you had homework okay <laughs> no. granted kidding. yeah we did well, yeah we didn't like you know to say we had to this is this was just me spiraling oh you no don't, i love you it, don't have though. to follow suit no i i didn't and that's i don't feel guilty for it so it's okay <laughs> Honestly, although mine are pretty dark i've noticed yeah dude but also, I think, but also, I think mine are kind of dark suggestions. Well, it depends on what way we go with it, because mine, I kind of left a little bit That's more true. open to interpretation. So we could end up having a happier ending for some of these what if scenarios. But let's dive into it. What is our first what if? So, so my <sighs> first what if is what if Aang hadn't run away from the air temples AKA, what if he had died in their Aeon Nation genocide? So he doesn't run away. He doesn't wake up 100 years later in the ice with the Katara and Sokka. What happens next? Well, the way that we know the Avatar cycle works, we're going to the next Avatar, which is from the Water Tribes. And I was like thinking like, okay, but would this be Korra? Would this be... And I'm thinking no, because I think... Rava knows the quality she wants in the next Avatar before she reincarnates. That's just kind of like my own personal headcanon. And I don't think like, you know, we would have gotten Korra uh, like a hundred and sixty years later or something crazy like that. Yeah. I think people are born when they're supposed to be born. Yeah. Um, and I but I do think that the Avatar we would have gotten would be, which I'm gonna call Avatar Water, because you know, um I do think that this Avatar would be Korra like. And have qualities that Korra shares, uh, but it wouldn't be Korra herself. Um, I think this water avatar would most likely be trained in the Northern Water Tribe because it's basically a fortress and it's less susceptible to siege than the Southern Tribes. And I also think that they would not tell this avatar that there is a war going on. And this is where I was like, oh, and then I just started typing. There is no war because in the Northern Tribe. Exactly. There is no war going. What are you talking about? Because I could imagine like these old boomer, like water tribe chiefs being like, they can't know that there's a war going on. They won't be able to emotionally handle it. It's too much pressure. Basically kind of what they did with Aang. Like, you know, we can't tell him there's a war going on until he's 16. Uh, all that sort of stuff. Uh, well, I guess Monkey Yatsu was more in favor of that, but um, but yeah, I definitely think that's what would happen. They would have definitely gone the long thing route, maybe a little less like government conspiracy e. But I mean, I do think you know maybe uh I don't know like someone in their inner circle finds out that they don't know about the war and they try to say something and then they got dragged dragged out and oh they they went to the Southern Water Tribe for for training when it's you know I I think it could be like a little sinister I don't know um and then I think. Because of all the secrecy, I think this avatar would find out that there is a war and be like, ultimately be very betrayed. They would run away from the northern tribe and find their own team avatar. And then they train for years. And when they find out Susan plans to lay siege on the water tribe, the avatar reveals themselves and defeats Susan, exiling him in shame to live on Whaletail Island for the remainder of his days. That is very well thought out. Holy crap. Um, but okay. So, but this be a person. So, in this, just want, just wanted to ask you something before I throw, before I potentially, okay, listen, I got notes. Before I potentially yeah. throw a wrench into it, uh huh. Would this avatar be born in the Northern Water Tribe, or 
born in the Southern Water Tribe, moved to the Northern. For the drama of it, I think they would be born in the Southern Tribe and then would basically be forced to move to the Northern Water Tribe. Okay. If that makes I, sense. Because, like, I, I, okay. I was thinking about the Southern Raiders. It's why I was, you know, kind Ooh, of like, yeah. that's why I was kind of like, <laughs> about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, I got me thinking about it because, in that case, the Southern Raiders like, would be going after the Water Tribes because they knew that, that would be the next cycle, which I think is also the reason why they went after them in, you know, the mm-hmm. series too. So I guess maybe that could be technically an incentive for them to flee. But, <clears throat> you know, I guess also, like, in that case, like, you know, we know the fire, like, there's the fight, you know, some of these Fire Nation soldiers aren't above killing children. We saw that in the Air no. Nomad genocide. Yeah. So, like, they would have gone after, like, even before they knew that the Avatar had been reincarnated into the Southern Water Tribe, they, you know, you think maybe they would have, like, I don't know, sent people who, who, like, you know, who had young children away to the Northern Water Tribe for their safety. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think I so, could definitely see that. I kind of just like took, that. so I kind of, but you know, again, word doesn't travel quite as fast in this universe. So, you know. Yeah. But also, Sozin did seem to work under the delusion that if he killed all the air nomads, that the, that the Avatar cycle would stop. So, I don't know if they would keep looking. Because the only reason he kept looking for Aang was because he had like an inkling that he escaped, which he did. But I don't know. Sozin, he didn't get his facts right. Someone was was feeding him some misinformation. I never understood that. Never understood that. But. Well, still, I yeah. I kind of just want to. Throw I think that you're in. right, though. I think you're right. If if they were looking for, um, I, I think fair, there would like be like baby. two they'd forces. Be for, they'd be looking for a baby, you yeah. know. Yeah. So they probably. Go but I like the idea of them running away, and then it's like it. It, it would be kind of like how the original series pans out, right? Ducking the Fire Nation, traveling, this group of friends, like, traveling, picking up benders along the way. Like, it would kind of, like, mostly play out almost the same kind of way. Similar, yeah. Um, yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, and then I don't I don't know. I, mean, I stopped at the Sozin thing. I don't know what the repercussions of, um, you know, banishing, essentially banishing Sozin to live on Wiltel Island. I don't know how that would affect, like, the Fire Nation, like, going forward. Like, um... I don't know, but like that's that's where I stopped. I was like, I have to stop somewhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because then you just be like, you know, spinning out. That's that's fan fiction at that point. Oh, I mean, if someone it. wants to go ahead and write it, you got you got my permission. There you just go. Credit the Avatar Hour podcast. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and send us the link on it for Ao3. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> or wherever else you post it at. Do you we'll do still... a dramatic reading of. It? Oh, that's an episode. Even... We need to do dramatic readings of of Avatar fan fiction. Write it down. Write it down. <laughs> write, write that down. Write that down. We're already doing that. <laughs> this, again, this is what happens when we go on hiatus. We are refreshed with new ideas. Okay, I got See? it. Yeah. All right. I got that down. Future episode idea. <laughs> Love it. Okay. So mine isn't quite as fleshed out because I figured this would be an interesting discussing point. But mm. my scenario that I came, my first scenario that I came up with is what if Zuko didn't switch sides? So I guess in this context, perhaps he didn't have uh, the same support system that he did that allowed him to switch, that allowed him to gain the introspection and, you know, allow him to question his uh, 
you know, place in the world and things like that. Yeah. So in this scenario, I guess perhaps Ira would be either a different person or just not in the picture on the ship with him as he's searching for the avatar. And yeah, I think that I think Ira is such a crucial puzzle piece to that. And I think if he wasn't there, then maybe, yeah, maybe Zuko never would have, you know, gone the route that he did. Yeah. So, you know, in that case, it would be much harder for them, for the gang to find a firebending teacher uh, that wouldn't immediately mm-hmm. want to kill them. Uh, mm-hmm. I still think that those firebenders exist. Obviously, we met Zhang Zhang before we, you know, had Zuko as Aang's firebending teacher. So I still think the gang would have found somebody. It would have been way more difficult. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure how much of a wrench that would put in things, uh, you know, I'm like, my, now my brain's like freezing up. So please feel free to chime in with any other details you can think of. Well, uh, if Zuko doesn't join the gang, Aang doesn't learn the true meaning of firebending. He doesn't learn how to redirect lightning, Mm -hmm. um, which like puts him at severe danger when he does like, you know, match up with Ozai because he does redirect his lightning at some point. Um, yeah. Um, I don't, well, would Azula actually be crowned Fire Lord? Like, imagine defeating Ozai, but then you still have a technically legitimate Fire Lord on the throne like Azula. Maybe it would just be like a Katara and Azula matchup. Or what about, well, in that scenario, like, you know, where would Zuko fit in with that scenario? Then what do you think? Oh, would it be Azula or would it be Zuko? Yeah. Hmm. Then I think it would be much more difficult. I would. I think it's fun to like imagine them not finding a firebending teacher. Yeah. And then Aang having to go up against Ozai, not knowing any firebending. Yeah. yeah. Like Zuko and Azula would be would be a vicious duo. I mean, considering how like you know, Aang and Katara both went up against Zuko and Azula in the season two finale, and that was. Yeah, they just don't have the numbers. They. I was like, well, maybe Toph can help Katara, but like Toph also needs to be on the ships to metal bend the ships. So I was like, I don't know. And then I was like, oh, maybe Suki can do it. But then Suki like comes in clutch with the ship at the end and like crashes into all of them. So they literally don't have anyone to spare. So sorry, Katara. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh maybe Katara and Haru. I don't know. Like I don't know. I'm just gonna That's say crazy. that like if the if the gang were to win in this scenario with Suki mm-hmm. not switching sides, it would be a very hard won victory like much much harder than what they had in the finale for season three um Mm -hmm. or if you want to go the darker route they probably would not have won yeah i don't know again i really do think zuko's a big reason for why they won to begin with so i shudder to think what could have happened if that wasn't the case yeah yeah Hmm. okay all right okay All right. So now we have the ball, in- kind of got the ball rolling. Now it's a little easier to like, okay, yeah, here's, yeah, yeah. here's some things. Cool. So kind of in the same vein, I mean, I thought this was a pretty obvious one. What if Aang had indeed killed Ozai? Um, and I kind of went off the rails on this one. <laughs> it's kind of, it's very fan fiction-y. Um, but, fan, fiction you know- is, fan fiction-y isn't necessarily always bad. No, 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 not bad, but it is like, you know, it's, it's, it, you know, fan fiction can get wild. Oh, you for know? sure. Um, so in this scenario, you know, Aang, like, 
you know, he gets into the Avatar state when he's fighting Ozai, but he doesn't pop out of it at the last minute, and he actually, like, skewers Ozai with that four-element bending thing going on. So then what would happen? I think this would send a ripple effect throughout the world, and actually, I think, would make people fear Aang as an Avatar. Granted, yes, Avatars in the past have killed world leaders, Kyoshi, that sort of thing. Um, but also, Kyoshi pretty had a pretty mean reputation for most people, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I think this would... <laughs> exactly. And sure, I think at first they would all revel in Ozai's downfall, but then what if people, and I am say that mostly, most likely like non-bender, anti-Avatar, like extremist groups would start pointing out, hey, how dangerous could this person grow up to be? He's only 12 and he's killing people. Was it, what is it going to be like when he's a fully grown Avatar? Will he just kill anyone he doesn't agree with? Right? So there's civil unrest there. So then Team Avatar immediately tries to reply to this and they try to remedy this by making Ozai's like Rolodex of Crimes Against Humanity public to be like, hey, he did all these terrible things. This was justified, right? But then they find out that in an attempt to save face and continue its tradition of revisionist history, Um. the Fire Nation has actually already managed to cover everything up as much as they could to get rid of any evidence that they have. And I also want to point out this is all happening on top of the Harmony Restoration Movement. Mm. All right. So a whole another wrench in there. And then knowing Aang, this would I feel like send him into a complete full existential crisis because people are looking at him like this murderer and like he's an, he's a pacifist. He's like an air nomad. This is completely against his nature. And he starts questioning himself and whether or not these groups actually have a point. And then I feel like at some point, maybe Zuko would have a heart to heart with him. And as Zuko, I think, would continue to try to rehabilitate Azula, I think maybe Azula will like start poking and prodding and like, well, you could have been doing this with dad, but your friend killed him. And then Zuko maybe begins to wonder if killing Ozai was the answer. Maybe if he wasn't dead, he could have rehabilitated Ozai as well and he could have his family back. Speaking of family, with Ozai gone, Zuko doesn't get that information about of where to find his mother, so nothing in the search comic book ever happens, right? Then, I think, this is where it gets fanfiction-y, then I think that we would get a prototype version of Amon and the Equalist, but in Aang's time, founded on the belief that the Avatar should not have the ability to kill world leaders and wield his bending ability no matter what they've done, right? So, again, going full extremism groups here. And then to defeat Amon, this is when Aang elects to take away his bending, Amon's bending, instead of killing him, essentially restoring his re- reputation as, as an avatar. Now, because, you know, uh, Aang doesn't take away Ozai's bending, this Amon doesn't have that ability because no one knows that this is a thing, right? But this could create, like, even an even bigger monster later on for Korra, you know? Um... But that's basically, I think, what would happen. So to the people that are like, they should have, he should have done it. He should have killed Ozai. Well, maybe it's time to consider what could have happened. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I don't think it's very fan fiction-y. I think this makes really good sense. Yeah, of course. Considering, like, you know, the context of what made the Equalist rise up in Korra. Like, it would, Mm -hmm. I mean, it would probably have to be, like, several years after Ozai was killed in this universe for a Mm -hmm. movement like that to really gain traction um yeah. but i really don't think that's a far-fetched thing at all 
Mm, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was that that one was fun. I was like, this this shit is wild. <laughs> oh my god, Andre the Watcher. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, we are going to take a really quick break and we'll be right back with more potential what if scenarios in the Avatar universe. Stay tuned. Hey everyone, Kayla here. Before we get into the second half of the episode, we just wanted to remind everyone to check and make sure you're following the Avatar Hour podcast on your favorite podcast platform of choice. And if that platform has a rating system, please consider leaving us a review and maybe some feedback. With subscribers and reviews, it allows us to reach future listeners and to help the podcast grow in the long run. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show. And we're back with some more what if scenarios. So this one was not my idea off the top of my head. I kind of was struggling a little bit with coming up with some ideas for this particular episode. So I perused the internet for any what ifs, maybe something from Reddit or something. Uh, And I found something that's actually from the Avatar YouTube channel, like the official one. And so this one brought up an interesting what if of what if Ursa didn't run away. So in this scenario, I watched the first 30 seconds. This part's not original. This for to me, this is something that's already been come up with. But this but I will tell you when that's done, when that ends. So in this case, she poisons both Azulon and Ozai. So I stopped after that part because I'm like, wait, that is a cool idea. Let's see what we can do with it. So in this scenario, she poisons both Ozula and Ozai. So that is, you know, current Fire Lord, one of the successors. What would happen next? Like in this case, she does, you know, I guess what triggers it is, you know, Snows and telling Ozai to kill his, no, Snows and sorry, I can't do words. Azula telling Ozai, there's so many goddamn Zs, uh, to kill his son. And mm-hmm. so in that case, does Iris still? I'm, I'm assuming that Iris does. Iris still have his right to the crown at that point. Probably not. Would Ursa then be Fire Lord in that case? Like, uh, I think uh, I don't know. I think maybe Ira would just kind of let Ursa have it. Um, you know, I mean, the most we get in terms of like their relationship is Ira sending Ursa those things from. Uh, bossing say like the toys and the knife and everything um yeah let's just go in and say like you know ursus fire lord now um i think that azula is very smart and i think she figures out what actually happened and i think she becomes a very dangerous threat to ursa i think you know if she starts saying like she has an illegitimate claim to the throne i mean this would be like game of thrones shit like this would be pretty pretty insane yeah i think azula would be probably be persuasive enough to maybe con like zuko onto her side almost like you know i don't know maybe the pressures of fire being fire lord maybe ursa and zuko zuko yeah don't have the opportunity to get close enough um i don't know i think azula would probably be the wild card in this scenario but i mean in terms of the gang i think maybe i think the gang's trajectory would be drastically different because I don't think Ursa would be, you know, doing all the crazy shit Ozai was doing. Um, yeah. Uh, I think Aang would probably, you know, take his time, you know, with being the Avatar and everything. Yeah. Um, maybe Ursa reaches out to him and, and you know, in, a t- in an attempt to, like, kind of, like, start healing 
the wounds that the Fire Nation left by, you know, committing that genocide. Uh, maybe Ursa has the compassion to reach out to Aang and, like, you know, is trying to, like, show the world that the Fire Nation wants to be part of it again mm-hmm. instead of trying to rule it all. So I think it would be a lot of damage control on Ursa's part. Yeah. Um, and then there's Azula the- in the background. Exactly. Exactly. And then maybe, like, Azula could be, like, the big bad that they have to overthrow. Um, on the other hand, if Ursa doesn't take the throne, maybe she just wants to, you know, live an ordinary life because she was basically, um, spoiler alert for the Search comics, uh, basically stolen from her family to live as the the princess. So yeah, maybe she goes back to the ordinary life with Zuko and Azula. Azula doesn't want to go back to that. She stays in the palace and Iroh takes up the crown. Maybe Azula tries to assassinate him. I don't know. There could be all... Yeah. at the end of the day, I think Azula would be like the real like, wild card in this scenario. Yeah, wrench yeah, in the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Still, an interesting scenario. And now yeah. I kind of want to watch the YouTube video that the official Avatar YouTube channel made and see what they yeah. came up with. Yeah, I want to see how close we were. If yeah. there's, there's an after hour idea. Oh, there you go. I'm writing that down too. <laughs> <laughs> write it down, write it All down. Right. <laughs> and then this is my last what if. What if Korra really was the last Avatar, okay? So in this scenario, I think Korra still beats Vatu, but she doesn't end up reconnecting with Rava like she does in the show. Um, And this one was a little difficult to try to figure out what the repercussions of that would be. And I imagine if this happened, they would their main trajectory in like season three, they would try to find a way to restart the Avatar cycle. And that could be like a whole season in itself. Whether or not they succeed, I don't really know. Um, This, of course, would affect the season three arc of Zaheer and the Red Lotus wanting to kill Korra to stop the Avatar cycle. I I still think they would break out the same way, take down world leaders. I think they would still go after Korra, but I don't think they need like the elaborate like poison and everything. And because of this, I think Korra would be able to beat the Red Lotus with because she doesn't have the poison in her. I think that was like one of the main reasons she like narrowly escaped that conflict. Um, and of course, with no poison, this affects her season four arc uh, where she was recovering from that poison. But she does need to do that now. And because she doesn't need to, you know, leave Republic City, she's actually there for those three years in between season three and four which also means that the Air Nomads don't have to act in her stead like they do in Season 4. This also means I think it would be much easier for Kuvira to gain control of those territories that she's taken in Season 4 without the obstacle of the Air Nomads because they're going around, they're the ones offering the supplies that is offering without like the, the pledge to the Great Uniter, you know? Um, and I think just just because of this, I think this would just ultimately speed up season four altogether i'm thinking we could still have that conflict with kuvira trying to invade zalfu Korra tries to go and reason with her that doesn't work they have that duel and that says you know if kuvira loses she'll go home and and you know that'll be it and because Korra doesn't have the poison in her i think she defeats kuvira here essentially defeating her before she can invade republic city with the colossus so no Colossus means Hiroshi Sato doesn't die, which gives Asami more time to repair her relationship with her father. It also means no spirit portal in the middle of Republic City. Um, but I still think uh, Korra and Asami would go to another spirit portal and do their vacation there. 
Um, and for me, it's a toss up on whether or not Varric or Julie would still be married in this alternate timeline. Like, I feel like, you know, that was kind of like a, you know, we might die today. Let's die engaged or married or that sort of thing. Um, so toss up on whether or not that happens. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where it ends for me. Um, I think it could go very like drastically different. Oh, and because she doesn't have the poison, she doesn't meet Toph, doesn't get to be Toph. Um, which is a bummer, but yeah, that's what I think would happen. No comment here. I'm kind of just, I'm just very entertained by this. I'm just like reading it and listening to you talk about it. I'm just like, wow. Like, you know, without <laughs> any, without, without a lick of sarcasm, I'm just like, these are cool ideas. Holy crap. <laughs> Avatar Studios. I swear, if they, if they do a what if show and anything resembles any of this, I'm taking credit for it. I'm <laughs> taking credit. See, we need a Star Wars What If series, but that's a whole other thing. Uh, oh, God, yeah. I want a Star Wars What If series so bad. I think that could be cool. That could so, be really cool. But anyway, back to Avatar What If, and here is my final What If scenario. And this one has come up a few times in fandom, but I think it would be mm-hmm. cool for us to discuss here. What yeah. if the Red Lotus has succeeded in kidnapping Korra? And essentially, the original intent for the Red Lotus to take, you know, invade the Southern Water Tribe and get Korra was not to kill her as a child, but to indoctrinate her in, into their beliefs. So, mm. in this scenario, they succeeded, and they didn't. And I believe, I guess, in that case, they probably wouldn't have been sent to prison, obviously, but they would have to live a life on the run with the Avatar in tow. Um, mm. And so now that's kind of where I am blanking because I'm like, this is a cool scenario. I can't think of anything else after that. It's mm. like. I want to, you know, I'm going to kind of maybe in this case gloss over some of her upbringing and just assume that she had been, she had been indoctrinated into their belief system and is now like, we'll just kind of fast forward a few years until she's at the age that she is in Legend of Korra. I think for this, for this to work a little better. I think when Amon shows up in Republic City, I think, I honestly think the Red Lotus would come in and, and, stamp that out real quick because uh, yeah. they're you know they're all about like chaos anarchy no world leaders telling us how to live i think they would be totally against amon and the equalists um because mm-hmm. especially since uh they're all benders except for sahir um, but speaking right. of sahir he would remain a non-bender he wouldn't become an airbender right um at least i don't think um in this alternate timeline well here's um, the thing he wouldn't become an airbender yet because vatu not vatu sorry um Udalok was also part of the Red Lotus. And I think they wanted to kidnap Korra so eventually she could open the portals oh. and unleash Vatu. So in this well, scenario... Well, in that case, they would win then. Like, they would get the 10,000 Years of Darkness. Yeah. that's different. Or maybe that can be the breaking off point for Korra. They'd be like, why would you want 10,000 Years of Darkness? That makes no sense. Yeah. And then she betrays them and, you know, ends up defeating Udalog. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. There's those two different ways this could go. And I'm going to go, here's the thing, I'm going to go with the more optimistic route and mm-hmm. say that, you know, like just from what we know of Korra, even though she has a different upbringing of, you know, anarchy good, all that stuff, um, I still think that at her core, she wants to do what's right. And so, I mean, sometimes yeah. the Red Lotus, but like she has more of a, you know, anarchy would go after the innocent, the ones who are not powerful. Mm-hmm. And I think right. she just, as a person, I think she doesn't like to that when people go after the vulnerable. So I want to yeah. assume in that case, she still keeps that at her core. 
And so when she sees kind of the impact that the Red Lotus's ideology and, you know, even before the 10,000 Years of Darkness scenario, um, the potential, the 10,000 Years of Darkness being in the, you know, the back of their mind or something, like her kind of seeing what that's doing, I think that would kind of lead some seeds of doubt in her head after seeing mm. people who are powerful take out the, the weak. And yeah. I think that would be a big turning point for her. And then hearing, hey, we, need to, we want to unleash this dark spirit on the world and fuck up everything. I think that would be, I agree. I think it would be the final turning point for her. Um, I think I think so too, because I think, I mean, she would literally still have Rava with her and Rava is literally built to make sure that that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. So, and maybe that can even be something that the Red Lotus knows. And it can be kind of like, like the like Jesus appear, like the cry of the third crow or something like that. You will betray me, you know, something like that, like a Judas situation. Like they know it's going to happen. And Cora's like, what? I would never betray you, you know? And it's like, maybe like Rava wants to do it and Cora doesn't. Then there's like, like weird push and pull that that could happen. I don't know. That's really interesting to think about now that you said it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, even going forward more, like, you know, would it meet Bolin and Mako? Um, I think I still think would be pretty like, emotionally stunted wouldn't meet Tenzin or pretty much anybody from the show I think also Um, she I think also um she would live a a different kind of sheltered life she would still be like very much influenced heavily by the people around her because they kept certain things from her so I think she would still be a very like have a very sheltered upbringing but in a different scenario more like anarchy good always Mm. you know um yeah I think that would still be the case for her. So I think that she would be a very similar Cora to who we know now, but she would have a different, like, moral, not, not, I mean, not entirely moral compass, but philosophy than what our Cora has. So interesting. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Well, if you have some interesting what if scenarios, or you have some what if scenarios that some things you'd like to add on to our what if scenarios, or even something you disagree with, with what we've come up with, we always love to hear from you. So, you know, email your thoughts, uh, the Avatar Hour podcast at gmail.com, or you can shoot us a message on our over our DMs and we'll give you our social media handles in just a bit. I, I imagine I imagine we could do a second part of this. Oh, for at sure. Some there's point so in the future. many, there's so many things, especially given that we still haven't finished Korra. We also still have True. other comic stuff that we haven't gotten to yet. And we have True. the Yang Chen novels. Novel. Yeah. Maybe yeah. novels. Um, so there's plenty of things that we can pull from for sure. And I am very interested in that. This is definitely a really yeah. good idea. Like at first I was kind of nervous about this. I was kind of like, oh mm-hmm. God, I'm not going to come up with anything good. But once we got the ball rolling, we got some interesting things that came up. Look at us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just yeah, gotta give yeah, ourselves a pat on the back for that one. <laughs> and who, yeah. what was the person's name who suggested this? Uh, CJ on CJ. Thank, Thank you, you so CJ. much, CJ. This really led to a really interesting episode, and I we always appreciate it whenever you guys or sorry, I probably should not be as gendered. Whatever any of you send in stuff, it really does mean a lot for us. Uh, yeah. So yeah, please keep sending us stuff. It leads to cool things like this. Awesome. All right, let's move on to recommendations. Kayla, what are you recommending this week? So I always find myself coming back to this movie and soundtrack, uh, and I just did yesterday with well, I was putting this. Dock together. Um, so it is across the universe. It is a jukebox musical. Now, don't turn your noses up at it because it's good. 
It's fucking good. You love Jukebox musicals. I do. I do love Jukebox <laughs> musicals when they're done well. And, and this there's one, nothing wrong with that. And there is, this is done well. This is done very well. So <laughs> for those of you who don't know what Across the Universe is, it is essentially, like I said, a Jukebox musical of all Beatles songs. All songs by oh. the Beatles. And they're all strung together with the backdrop of the late 1960s, early 70s with the you know, Vietnam War happening in the background. You know, the drugs, the, the hippie movement, that kind of thing, um, you know, all told through the story and all told through the music of the Beatles. And of course, the characters are also named after names in the Beatles songs. So we've got Prudence, we've got Jude, we've got Lucy, Sadie, Jojo, you know, all of these names. Um, so I've been a long, you know, longtime Beatles fan since I was a kid when I watched Yellow Submarine. And, you know, it's just it introduced me to Beatles songs I hadn't heard before. And personally, it's going to so I'm probably going to have some classic rock fans go after me in the DMs. But I personally like covers of the Beatles songs more than I like the actual original version. OK, and nice. this movie is why, <laughs> because mm. the arrangements for a lot of these songs are just so beautiful and like. The movie stars Evan Rachel Wood is actually in this. She's and she can. I mean, like, I think most people have heard her sing in Frozen Two when she played uh, Elsa and Anna's mm. mom. But she can sing really well, nice. and she does a fantastic job in this movie. It's actually Julie Taymor, I think, was the director or producer or something. Mm. But I will say though, the story itself it feels like um, a bunch of music videos with an underlying story through each of it so it definitely has a lot more in common with american idiot the musical than mamma mia mm-hmm. um it doesn't feel sh- like the songs don't really feel super duper shoehorned and it's yeah it's because there's a lot of songs in this it's you know there's not a lot of room for character stuff but the visuals are fucking phenomenal the choreography is so cool nice. and just the use of the music and like i said it's just so beautiful and every time i watch the movie i have a new favorite song from it um, right now, it's Oh Darling is my one that I've been going back to and re-listening to a million times. Nice. So before that, it was uh, A Little Help for My Friends is my favorite. So it's just something I love to revisit time and time again. And I have this, I have it on DVD now and I have the bonus feature. So I'm very excited to explore those. So oh. that turned to a long ass thing. But I just love Across the Universe and not enough people are talking about it because it bombed at the box office when it came out. Talk about it and watch it. Very cool. Please. <laughs> But what do you recommend this week, Andre? I've talked plenty about mine. <laughs> um, I'm going to recommend The Deep End on Hulu. So this is, um, it's technically a documentary, but I tell you, it is so weird. It's shot like it's like, um, like a drama series. And I was like, oh, it's like, a, you know, they do like dramatic reenactments, but it's, it's not. They, everything is shot like it's like a drama series, but it's a documentary. I was like, this is really interesting. It was like really confusing at first because I didn't know like know what was going on. But it's essentially about this like a spiritual life coach. Um, her name is Teal Swan, and you might have heard of her. Um, she was like big on TikTok. Um, for like pretty much all the wrong reasons. Um, she's like this very, very like blunt, abrasive spiritual life coach. Like some of the things that she says is kind of like, whoa. Like I don't know. Like. And, like, the whole thing is, like, based on the premise of, you know, is the the people she surrounds herself with, like, the people who are, like, her, like, quote-unquote followers, 
um, is what she's doing basically the beginning of some sort of cult? Like, is what she doing? Because she has these, like, retreats where people come out and she, like, does all these, like, group therapy session things and, like, does this all this spiritual stuff. And there's there started, like, being raised some questions like, is this a cult? Like, the way you run things kind of seems like it's a cult. So you're, like, following this, like, um, third-party private investigator as she's, like, interviewing these people who uh, used to know this person or was in what they call the inner circle. Um, and then you find out, like, all the things people have to do to get into this inner circle. And it's just, it's really wild. Um, it is a little dark. So um, I would, you know, just kind of because of everything going on right now, um, if you're not in the headspace to watch something dark, I, I wouldn't recommend this. But if you're interested in like documentaries um, and if anything of what I said interests you, I definitely think it's worth checking out. It's like four episodes. It's not long at all. Um, but it was like, it's it's been like stewing in my brain for like the past couple of, of uh, days. It's just, it just, it leaves a mark. It leaves a mark for sure. Hmm. Interesting. So again, deep end on Hulu. Check it out if you're into that stuff. Awesome. Well, thanks for your recommendation this week, Andre. Yeah. All right. Well, in that case, uh, make sure you follow us if you haven't already on TikTok. We are at the Avatar Hour Pod, and this episode generated a few new things for TikTok, so keep an eye out for that. <laughs> uh, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at the Avatar Hour Podcast and on Twitter at Avatar Hour. And like I said, we're always looking for fan feedback, listener feedback. And, you know, if you have anything you'd like to say about this episode or if you'd like to add something for a future fandom corner or future episode topic, send it our way through our DMs and the platforms that I just mentioned. Or you can send us an email at the Avatar Hour podcast at gmail.com. And if you want some more Avatar Hour in your life, then consider signing up for our Patreon for as little as $1 a month or up to $5 a month. You can access our ad-free editions of our episodes, our Zoom recordings, our show notes, so much stuff that you can access going on behind the scenes. And of course, like I said earlier on, we do from time to time ask our patrons, hey, what do you guys want to see in the show? What do you want us to talk about? So if you want to be part of that crowd that helps basically help us produce the show, um, that's patreon.com slash the Avatar Hour podcast. Um, but that's it for us today. Uh, we will see you guys. Um, I'm imagining we're probably going to release another episode for our two-year anniversary. Not sure what we're doing yet, um, but we're definitely going to see you guys then. And then I'm pretty sure after that, our our season proper resumes. And I think we've got to start with a new Donna Yang Chin book, which comes out in like literally like two weeks, I think. Really? Oh, crap. I forgot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's most likely what we're going to start out with coming up. But just give, give you guys a glance of, of what's coming up in the future. Um, thank you guys for sticking around. I know we're quiet on social media during our, our hiatuses, or in this case, our semi-hiatus. But, um, but yeah, always appreciate you guys listening, and we will see you next time. My name's Andre. And I'm Bye, everyone. Bye.